0: You're listening to Zach Bernards on The Zach Bernard Show, a podcast about business, community, real estate, and the wonderful folks within. Hey there, it's Zach. Last week I had the privilege of sitting down with James Westby of Commerce Home Mortgage in his office in Salem, Oregon. We had a great discussion centered around the home buying process and a few of the lending specifics. James had a wealth of knowledge to share, and this podcast was very fun for the both of us. If you guys have any questions after listening to this, please contact James or myself using the contact information below. We really appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy. James, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you, Zach. I'm excited to do this podcast with you. Yeah,
0: you know, what we really want to do here is give our buyers, our clients, our potential clients, some good knowledge. You know, knowledge is power. And certainly in this, this realm, the home buying process, the lending process can be quite complex, especially for an outsider. So I think it's really important to get with someone, an industry professional, and just really understand what you're doing, what you're going through, and what's ahead of you. So let's talk about your background here. Obviously we're down in Salem and this is your office. This is kind of your, your stomping grounds. This is your hometown, home area. Tell me a little bit about your journey into the mortgage industry and your company.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I grew up in Salem, Oregon. Been here my whole life. I went to college at Oregon State. I got degrees in accounting and finance. Had a stint in the accounting industry working for a CPA firm. My wife and I decided we wanted to move back to Salem from Corvallis, and I wanted to try a different career. So that's when I started to get into lending, and I hit the ground running, and I've loved it ever since.
0: So an interesting move from, from finance to the lending side, I guess they're, they're somewhat correlated uh, and similar, but obviously it seems like when someone goes to school for accounting and finance, they love numbers, they love that type of system, and they perhaps never leave it. But you got into the mortgage industry, and your dad is actually a mortgage lender. That's correct. A broker, a professional. Did that have any influence on your decision to get into the industry?
1: Definitely. I mean, there, there's no way it can't, right? Ever since I was little, my dad told me that uh, this is a industry that I would enjoy and excel at. And he was a, a big reason that I chose it because he was going to provide better training than uh, anyone else could. He, would, he was very invested in me. He helped answer any questions that I had at the beginning. And I really had a jump start because of him. And uh, I, I'm super grateful for that.
0: Good. You know, it's, it always is nice having, having someone in your corner automatically, uh, not only teaching you, but supporting you and just having that, that person you can go to for, for questions or advice. It's also a benefit to your clients. You know, it's, it's one of those things that not only do you have my knowledge and expertise, but I grew up in a family of mortgage brokers. My dad's a professional industry professional. It's been that way for years a wealth of knowledge, you're going to have him as well because I can pick his brain at any time. Uh, it's something that, that I use quite frequently in the real estate industry uh, with the company that I'm at, with Woolcuts. Cuts, um, a lot of successful brokers around. I go on a listing presentation, not only do I try to leverage my own personal resume, but I leverage our companies and those around me. So it seems like that's something you can do here as well, which is, which is great we don't deal strictly with first time home buyers but when dealing with them there's a lot that they may not know there's a lot that i didn't know before i got into the industry i'm sure it was the same with
1: you absolutely
0: let's talk about the basics you know we hear this we hear these terms tossed around quite often with pre qualifications and you know let's get a buyer pre qualified or pre-approvals. What is the difference between a pre-qualification and a pre-approval?
1: Great question. So, a pre-qualification would be more let's say a buyer wants to come talk to me. It's a really informal conversation either in person or over the phone. They tell me their general financial picture and based on that information I give them a good idea. I say, hey, hey here's generally the range of house you should be able to afford. Okay. Okay, so that's a, that's a pre-qualification and then oftentimes they can take that and go to a real estate agent and say, tell them their price range. Uh, pre-approval goes one step further. So I'll typically ask for documentation that verifies their income, verifies their liabilities, and will run a credit report and take an actual application. And from that point, I can go to our automated underwriting system and get an approval. And that is when you're pre-approved. And I can send a pre-approval letter with any offer that you wanna make on a house. Um, So really it's just the verification of the information is the main difference between the uh, pre-qualification and the pre-approval.
0: So for me personally, I've always been curious, how often is a pre-qualification pretty near accurate? You know, if you sit down with someone, get them pre-qualified, you have their number, how accurate is that versus a pre-approval letter or once you get them pre-approved, how much does that fluctuate typically?
1: Right, so the the pre-qualification can be very, very accurate. It's completely dependent on the quality of information that they give me. For instance, let's say someone makes $20 an hour at their job, Mm -hmm. and they tell me they work 40 hours a week. But then when we go and look at their pay stubs, uh, they really only work 36 to 37 hours a week. And we look at their tax returns, and it shows less income than you would make working 40 hours a week every single week for a year. So at that point, we have to reduce the amount of income that you qualify for by the, the misinformation. So if, if someone gives me great information at the start, I can give them a great number from the start. If someone gives me average information from the start, sometimes there, there is a bit of a fluctuation. But rarely do I see someone give me information that is either misleading or super wrong. So that's, that's not really a problem we run into
0: in the real estate world I think the most prominent one especially right now in the market that we've seen is what is your home worth sellers are quite often pretty outlandish on what they desire for for their home I assume there are some common misconceptions in the realm of lending as well let's talk about a few of those
1: absolutely so uh, I think I can give you three of them so first one how much do you need for a down payment on your house a lot of people think 20% down is needed to get into a house. That's just not true. There are multiple programs that we offer that allow for as low as 0% down on a house. You've got VA, USDA, we have a down payment assistance program in Chinoa, And then even without those really low down programs, FHA, which is a really common loan, allows as low as 3.5% down, where on conventional loans, we can get borrowers as low as 3% or even really common is 5% so there's a lot of flexibility in how much you can put down and I love talking through borrowers with, with what's going to work best for them right. as far as a down payment.
0: No it's something that I hear quite often too is you know, what am I going to need down on a house like this? Well that depends, it's so situational.
1: Exactly and that's where you want to speak with a lender and uh, have them help you figure out how much down you're going to want to put because what you can qualify for isn't always the best financial decision. Exactly. So you wanna to talk to them and figure out what's gonna work best.
0: Yeah, it seems like there's a vast misunderstanding too. When I, when I initially meet with buyers, one of the first questions that I get is, you know, how much do I need down? And they don't understand that on the back side of that question are so many variables. Program placement, you know, obviously their financial situation, are they a first time home buyer? Kind of their background, so, so that's good to know. There are a plethora of programs you can find one that is suitable for for your folks and that down payment will fluctuate. What are a few things that buyers, specifically first-time buyers, should know when they're starting kind of this process of searching for homes, getting pre-qualified, getting pre-approved, and and speaking with you?
1: Definitely. So the first thing that buyers should know is that they should speak to a lender right away. Because like we talked about with the pre-qualification and pre-approval, It really is beneficial to not only the buyer, but whatever real estate agent they end up working with for them to know what kind of house they can afford and what kind of house they can be approved for. Also, talking to a lender early allows them to clear up uh, potential credit report problems. You can kind of create a plan that will allow you, let's say you have to save up money um, for a down payment or whatever the situation is, the lender can really help you kind of map that out. So even if you think you're not quite ready to buy a home yet, even if you're just thinking about it, it's a great idea to go talk to a lender first. The next thing that a buyer will want to know is what an underwriter looks for to approve a loan. And so they look for a few things. They look at your income, your debts, your assets, the collateral being the, the house, and also the credit risk. And I'll talk a little bit about each of those. So for income, they really just look at your wage, how many hours you have worked. They will look at your time on the job and they'll just try to project your income. You need to look out for income is let's say you rely on child support or social security. What we look for there is that you can project income for at least three years. And so as long as you meet that qualification, then we can usually uh, count that income. So next uh, topic being debt. So what buyers need to know there is that we count the minimum payments for revolving debt. So for credit cards, let's say there's a $25 minimum payment every month, but you're making $100 payments every month. We only need the $25 amount. So that's, that's one thing that they should definitely know. Moving on to assets, we look at bank statements, we look at retirement accounts, things like that. So we can use retirement accounts, which a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know from the start. That being said, that's usually not the best option if possible because there can usually be some pretty high tax consequences as well as penalties from the IRS. That being said, we can use them. Also investment accounts. Another thing that buyers should know is that if you have cash on hand, that will not count towards the assets that you have. So if you're one of those people that keeps a lot of money at home, what you need to know is that the lender will look for seasoned assets. And what that means typically is that it's sitting in an account for at least two months. And really the reason for this is to prevent money from illegal activity and things like that. So they really do track where your money goes when you're getting a loan. So if you have cash on hand, try to stick that that money in a bank a couple months before you go to get a mortgage. The next point is collateral, that being the house again. So the lender will have you order an appraisal and they will lend on the lesser of the sales price and the appraisal amount. Okay. And the reason for that is because if let's say someone doesn't make payments on their house, the bank will want the collateral to cover the, the loan amount that they issue. So right. Zach, I'm sure you've been in situations where the appraisal comes in a little under the agreed sales price. And in those situations, usually there's some uh, renegotiations that need to happen, whether the buyer needs to come in with a little bit larger down payment or they renegotiate the price a little bit down to, to the appraised value.
0: Yeah, no, certainly that situation pops up more regularly than people think. It's something that, that you guys work with. How much is the typical
1: non-VA appraisal cost to buyer nowadays? I know it fluctuates. It fluctuates. I would say, on average, maybe 850, Okay. maybe 800. It, it really depends.
0: Right. Right. Okay, great. No, I think that that's really good knowledge to have. Just piggybacking on that, there are so many things that a first-time home buyer may not know. Maybe even a second or third if they weren't taken care of the first time and kind of spoon fed some good information by either their realtor or their lender. You know, I work with people and connect with people now. The first thing I say is, you got to get with the lender. Well, my credit score is bad. Well, this, I'm not making enough money right now. Well, it doesn't matter. Let's get you on a path to home ownership. And that's the most important thing. And I think that's, you know, what you spoke about and kind of, you know, an overview is get with the lender. Learn what you have to do. Get on a path to home ownership. Absolutely. Credit. A really intimidating factor of one's financial life let's talk a little bit about it
1: for sure I think you know what makes up their credit score what impacts it what makes it better or worse Mm -hmm. so the first and probably the most important thing is gonna be your payment history are you making on-time payments so that's that's gonna be a huge factor you know if you are late there's on the credit reports you'll see 30 day 60 day and 90 day late 30-day lates won't be as bad to your credit as a 90-day late will be. Also, when those lates happened are also important. So if you had a 30-day late last month, that's going to hurt you more than a 30-day late three years ago. So there's a lot of things that go into that, but just know don't make late payments. That's really what's going to help you. And if if you have um, some poor credit and you want to get better, start making on time payments. That's going to be the first thing that you want to do. The next thing that will affect your credit is your credit utilization rate. And so this is for revolving debt, like credit cards. Let's say you have a, a, a credit limit, $5,000. The balance that you carry uh, divided by the, the credit limit is going to give you a percentage, and that's your credit utilization rate. As a general rule, the lower it is, the better. Some people throw out you want to be under 50%. Some people say you want to be under 30%. Really, as long as you're conscious about keeping your credit utilization rate as low as possible, that's going to help your score. The next thing is going to be the length of your credit history. Did you just open your first credit card or are you 50 years old with years and years of credit history so that's going to be a factor in that right right and the last thing is is going to be recent activities such as inquiries mm-hmm. and there's some mis- misconceptions about that actually inquiries often don't hurt your score very much just a few points and they typically fall off your credit report within six months um so it's nothing to to worry about too much and they they don't affect your score all that much but those are those are the general factors that affect your credit score so that's that
0: What do you suggest and what do you see a lot of young folks doing?
1: Great question. So, first of all, I think that it's my personal opinion that everyone, let's say you're getting out of high school, should should open a credit card. Start building your credit history. You don't want to overuse it so that it's a little dangerous. I realize that, but go into it with the mindset of using it responsibly. Right. Okay, so that's the first thing. Start building your credit history. As far as financing your trucks, your cars, and all all your toys, generally, I would say that is a bad decision. Well, that's person dependent, and I don't want to get too much into whether it's a good or a bad decision. I, I would say- It's situational. It's right. situational, for sure. But what's really important is that you don't make any credit mistakes early on. So if you buy a truck, you get a credit card, and your balance gets a little too high, and you start feeling the pressure from debt, that's when you start making late payments, and that's gonna hurt your credit score for a long time, uh, roughly seven years. So you really gotta be careful about not overextending yourself early, especially when you don't know how to use credit and debt as well. You wanna get some experience, start small, but definitely start building credit history as early as possible. But my advice would be to to not go finance everything you can right, right when you're able to.
0: When I was 18, I got a Discover It card, was the only person that would approve me for a credit card. I use it strictly for gas uh, during school, and that was it.
1: That's Uh, a great idea.
0: Exactly. That's something that that I hear people suggest quite often to young folks. I've had some people buy smaller items like a motorcycle or a lesser expensive car to build credit, like I said. And like we spoke about, very situational. But I think getting that first credit card don't open any other account, get that first one, be responsible with it, build a credit history, it can certainly help you out in the long haul.
1: Definitely, and, and, and that brings up a separate point, and actually one of the things that affect credit that I missed earlier was the types of credit you have. It's good to have a little bit of diversification, so if you only have revolving debt like credit cards, that's not gonna be necessarily optimal for your credit score, it's good to have, you know, maybe a car loan, maybe a student loan, Uh, while that's not always the best financial decision, it can be a good credit decision to have a little bit of diverse credit types.
0: Let's talk about scores, different kind of scores, and and really what affects them. So what is that type of broad score that we would see on like a Credit Karma app, that first one that may be higher than, than the other couple?
1: Definitely, so Credit Karma is great for getting a general idea of where your credit score is at it's not great for getting a, an accurate depiction. And the reason is typically they'll only pull, at least from my knowledge, from one credit reporting agency, normally your FICO score, uh, which is uh, Experian, which is one of the three major credit reporting agencies. So we've got Experian, we've got Equifax, and we've got TransUnion. And so when you go to get a loan for a, for a mortgage, we look at all three scores, and we actually take the lowest middle score from all parties involved. So let's say, whether you have a partner in a deal or a spouse, and your credit scores are different. We'll take the middle score from each of you and then take the lower one. So let's say a husband has a scores of 740, 730, and 720. His mid-score would be 720. Mm-hmm. That'd be the score for him. And let's say the wife has a 780, 800, 770. Good for her. Good for her, that's awesome credit score. We'd use the 780 as her mid-score. But if they were both on the loan together, the, the score for the entire loan would be the husband's score. And so the wife's high score wouldn't actually necessarily count. So it's definitely something to be aware of as you, as you start looking for um, a house that you make sure that both scores are, are looking as good as possible.
0: So, credit's important, obviously, for for people that are young, trying to build credit, trying to buy a home, it's something to look out for. In short, build your credit, be responsible with it, no late payments, and have some financial common sense.
1: I think it's a pretty good summarization.
0: Perfect. Let's move on to someone that is perhaps a bit older, has some credit history, has a bad credit score or a not so good credit score or a good one, and they just want to approve upon it, what are some practices that they can implement in their financial life that are gonna, you know, gradually build their scores?
1: Okay, so first thing I normally say is get your credit utilization down on your revolving debt. Generally, the general rule is under 50% is what you'll want to shoot for. If you're already under that, even lower it a little more, it's gonna start helping. It's probably the, the quickest thing to help. The second thing is make sure you're making on-time payments, because like I said, the more recent events will have a greater impact than events further in the past. So what you start doing right now is going to have a greater impact on your credit than whatever you did five years ago. Other than that, each person's credit is specific to them, so I'd recommend talking with a lender to get a tailored plan to help build your credit. So if it's not very good, usually people will have a specific amount of funds that they can even use to help building their credit again. Um, so if their score is poor, normally there's, there's debt issues somewhere, there could be some collections, maybe there's a bankruptcy, everyone's a little bit different. And so you, you wanna make the best use of your funds, so I'd recommend talking to someone and getting a specific approach to your specific situation.
0: That's what I was going to add, was the fact that when someone approaches me and it's, you know, I wanna buy a house, I ask them, you know, have you spoke with the lender? No, my credit's bad. I don't want to. It's a perfect time to speak with the lender if your credit's bad. Absolutely. They'll put you on a credit recovery path. Um, like I, I mentioned earlier, a path to home ownership. That includes bettering your credit score. So I think it's important for listeners out there who have been struggling with their credit score or are embarrassed by it, get with the lender. It's confidential. They'll put you on a path to better your credit score, eventually getting you in a home that you that you want. So it's free. And it's free. Don't forget, we all love free things. We attested to down payment amounts and percentages a bit earlier in the podcast. But one thing that a lot of people are unaware of is that there are a plethora of different loan programs and financing options. Let's talk about a few of the different loan programs that that you offer. um, And let's give a brief overview of each and then we can dive into a few of the main ones.
1: Perfect. Yeah, there, there is a ton of loan programs, and one of my favorite parts of my job is talking with my clients and figuring out which one works best for them. It's, no, it's not a one-size-fit-all. The reason there's so many programs out there is because different borrowers have different needs. So just to kind of give you a general overview, uh, conventional loans are the, I, would, I guess I'd say, main loan, especially for those with, uh, with good credit. The advantages of conventional loans is that once you have 20% equity in your home, you will not have to pay mortgage insurance, (laughs) which is great. Usually conventional loans will have the best fee and rate structure of the different loans outside of uh, potentially VA loans. So it's just a great program that a lot of people fit into, and it's what I try to get the majority of my clients into if, if, if they can qualify. The next major loan program is an FHA loan stands for Federal Housing Administration. It's a government-backed loan. FHA allows for uh, lower credit scores, a higher debt-to-income ratio, which means that you can typically afford a little bit higher of a sales price for your house. Some of the negatives are there's mortgage insurance for the life of the loan. You never get rid of it unless you want to refinance. And there's some upfront mortgage insurance as well. That's 1.75% of the loan amount, gets added on the back of the loan amount. So you don't have to come up with that in cash, but it does increase the amount of money that you're gonna to have to pay over the life of the loan. The next major loan program is a VA loan. What's great about a VA loan is it allows for a 0% down. There's a very high allowable DTI.
0: DTI being debt to income debt ratio? Debt to income, yes. Okay.
1: So there's also no funding fee for veterans with 10% or greater disability. If you do not have 10% disability, then you will have to pay a funding fee, which is similar to the upfront mortgage insurance that we talked about in FHA. and VA, there's also no mortgage insurance, so that's another great benefit for those loans. We also do USDA loans, which are for rural communities. I believe the population has to be under 35,000, but your uh, listeners may have to fact-check me on that one. Bottom line is uh, Salem does not allow for USDA loans but a lot of the outskirt cities do. USDA also allows for 0% down. With USDA, the the loan limit is less than the other programs, and also the debt-to-income limits are also less, making it a little bit more difficult to qualify. We also offer some down payment assistance loans. One that we offer is called Chinoa. It basically, it's an FHA-based program, and they come in and basically gift the borrower a down payment and there's two different programs within chinoa One allows them to never pay that back. And typically that comes with a slightly higher interest rate. And the other program allows them to, to pay that down payment back over 10 years. So it's a great program. We also offer construction loans, renovation loans, and some also what we call non-QM loans, such as we offer a loan to someone who's a day out of bankruptcy. Hmm. We also offer investor products. Those types of loans typically come with slightly higher interest rates and the the fee structures aren't quite as as appealing, but for the right people, it's a great product.
0: I was ecstatic when James agreed to be on the podcast. He's a fantastic communicator with a wealth of knowledge. Hopefully this podcast was a benefit to you and you'll either learn something or got some clarification on one of these overwhelming topics that we discussed. If you're a first time home buyer or second or third time home buyer give James a call. I know he'd be happy to help. He works for Commerce Home Mortgage in Salem, Oregon. Again, James Westby, thank you so much for being on the show. We greatly appreciate it. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to The Zach Bernard Show. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and connect with Zach on Facebook and Instagram at Zach Bernard's Real Estate. See you next time.